This is the Proactive IT Podcast. This week, the latest in IT and cybersecurity news, plus cybersecurity trends for 2020, ambulance companies, mobile apps, and HIPAA, what do they have in common? This is episode 11. Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Proactive IT Podcast. Each week, we talk about the latest in tech and cyber news, compliance, and more. We also bring you real-world examples to learn from so you can better protect your business and identity. This podcast is brought to you by Nawash Tech, a client-focused and security-minded IT consultant located in Central Connecticut. You can find us at nawajtech.com. That's N-W-A-J-Tech.com. All right, we started off like we start off every episode with a Patch Tuesday update. There no, there are no Microsoft patches mentioned as of yet. I would imagine we'll hear next week about that. However, do keep in mind that Windows 7 end of life is now 11 days of way. So if you are still on Windows 7, it is time to move on, get off of it. I wouldn't even re- recommend getting the, the extended service from Microsoft. It's not even worth it. Just upgrade to Windows 10 unless there's some absolutely... Uh, undeniable reason you need to remain on Windows 7, but get off of it if you can. Also, of note, Python 2.7 has reached end of life. Um, They will stop updating it in April of this year. Move on to Python 3. I believe on 3.3. I didn't verify that, so it might be a different different number at this point, but I believe it's 3.3. It's definitely Python 3, so get on at Python 3. Move away from Python 2.7. There is, or there is at least one module that they know of that's been compromised. We reported that a couple of weeks ago. So you're going to want to get off of Python 2.7. All right. So as you know, it is now 2020. A little uh, non-cybersecurity related tip for you. I've seen this all over the all over Facebook, really, and all over the internet. But um, instead of writing, you know, like today's date one three twenty, you're gonna want to write one three twenty twenty. And here's the reason why: it's already been discovered that some people are taking advantage of you writing just twenty for the year and adding a seventeen or eighteen or or ninety one to the end of it. So instead of saying one three twenty, it'll say one three two thousand seventeen. And that could potentially make documents um, not legally binding or checks not able to be cashed or or cashed earlier or later, you know, whatever the case may be. So instead of writing just 20 for the year, make sure you're writing 2020 so that it cannot be edited. In the news, on Cyware, we have the curious case of 20 unsecured buckets containing nearly 48 million records. I think I reported this on Monday. On The Daily Show, Pet Becker, Hello Tech, and Active are some of the companies affected by the incident. Data Leak has also impacted an app called Cluster and Real Estate Answering Services Company. An investigation led by NBC News has been found that nearly 20 cloud buckets were left open to the public without passwords. This has affected millions of users across the world. These unguarded buckets have found, were found containing nearly 48 million records. 
to name a few, a pet sitting app called Petbecker, a company that provides information in-home information technology services called Hello Tech, and Australia's largest disability service network provider called Active. The data leak has also impacted an app called Cluster and a real estate answering services company. Uh, for the bucket with Petbecker that included driver's licenses and other sensitive documents from users based in the United States, Czech Republic, Philippines, UK, Malaysia, and Australia, the bucket for Hello Tech included thousands of unprotected identity documents belonging to its technicians. So if you are a technician for Hello Tech, you're going to want to make sure that your driver's license or whatever other IDs you might have are not um, being used somewhere else. The bucket was also filled with images of IT setups inside customers' homes. Unprotected cloud bucket used by Cluster had exposed 6.4 million photos, including those of children at school. And then a real estate answering service company found millions of voicemails, mostly apartment inquiries and maintenance requests that included the caller's names and cell phone numbers. So Peck Becker's response was that they admit the problem is stemmed from users who submitted identity documents via the app's support chat function. I believe they've corrected that now. Um, Active investigated the matter and immediately resolved the situation within 45 minutes, so they locked that bucket down. And then Cluster's unsecured bucket was available until late on November 26th when it changed its settings on its cloud storage. Now, it doesn't say what cloud storage service any of these companies were using. The term bucket is synonymous with AWS, so I would, I would assume AWS, but it does not say that here. You know, other companies like Azure uses Blob instead of, of bucket. Um, you know, it could be a case of wrong terminology, wrong word, wrong name, but I'd have to believe it's AWS. Again, and one of these is a technology, I mean, they're all, in a, in a sense, they're all technology companies, but Hello Tech is a, is a service provider for tech. And so we're not locking buckets down. We're exposing data that shouldn't get exposed. We need to take care of this. Um, it's not acceptable, especially from, a techn from technology companies, it's not acceptable. Channel E2E, which is part of MSSP Alert, Cloud Hopper Cybersecurity APT10, hackers hit MSPs and CSPs harder than previously disclosed. Um, real quick, uh, among the additional, so this is going back to 2016, by the way, so they there were some attacks on, um, who are the companies here? So we have CGI Group, HP Enterprise, IBM, and Tieto Oige were hit harder by attacks than originally thought. And what they uncovered is investigators allege many of the major cloud companies tried to stonewall clients about what was happening inside their networks. Department of Homeland Security is striving to revise federal contracts in a way to force CSPs to comply with future probes. The hack illustrates a weakness at the heart of global business, namely CSPs and MSPs that can become doorways into end customer systems. We've seen that repeatedly last year. And it's an open question whether hackers remain inside companies' networks today. So there was a, a HIPAA breach where the, the was go ongoing for more than three years. Now, it wasn't um, a hacker. It was an employee. But this illustrates the fact that somebody could be stealing or compromising things for years and not get noticed. Um, it, it also illustrates that it seems that the this seems to happen to the larger MSPs and CSPs, the ones that their networks almost almost seem to be too big to manage. Now, I'm not suggesting that a large MSP is as is potentially at risk. I know large MSPs that are doing great. Um, it's just that 
I, maybe they get in over their heads. I, I, I don't know. I don't know what the answer there is. But when this happens, what's happening is now the clients that these MSPs and CSPs support now become victims through no fault of their own, most likely. Uh, there should be some auditing on the part of the client to say, hey, you know, this is a potential problem, but it's not always possible to find those, uncover those in an audit. Also, um, the there is a, a comment here. The journal found that Hewlett Packard Enterprise Company was so overrun that the, the cloud company didn't see the hackers re-enter their clients' networks even as the company gave customers the all clear. So, kind of scary. Um, let's let's you know let's make sure MFA and and I did see where I think we're going to talk about it. The predicting that MFA will become the standard over two FA, which is great. Uh, we'll, we'll get to that in a moment, I believe. On ZDNet, Cisco critical bugs, Nexus data center switch software needs patching now. Cisco has disclosed a dozen bugs affecting its data center network manager software, including three critical authentication bypass bugs that expose enterprise customers to remote attacks. Cisco warns that a remote attacker can bypass DCNM's authentication and carry out tasks with administrative privileges on an affected device. The available updates are highly important for enterprise data centers built with its Nexus NXOS-based switches. DCNM is a key component for automating NXOS-based network infrastructure deployments. Cisco points to three separate authentication bypass vulnerabilities in a single advisory. Those are CVE 2019-15975, CVE 2019-15977, actually lists the same one twice, so. Uh, and a trio, and the trio have a severity rating of 9.8 out of a possible 10, so this is a big deal. If you have these Cisco switches in your environment, you're going to want to patch them immediately. On ZDNet, oh, I already reported that Python 2.7 will be frozen, and last update will be provided in April of this year, 2020. Also on ZDNet, New Year's Eve malware attack strikes TravelX. TravelX is a um, currency exchange provider in UK. So the TravelX has been forced offline into manual mode following a malware attack launched on New Year's Eve. On Thursday, the London-based currency exchange said a software virus compromises services, prompting a decision to pull all services offline as a precautionary measure. I hadn't considered currency exchange providers as a as a potential victim, so that'll be interesting to see if that continues. But our investigation to date shows no indication that any personal or customer data has been compromised, TravelX said in a statement posted on Twitter. At the time of writing, the TravelX UK website is inaccessible beyond a runtime error notice. The company has switched to manual means to continue its operations in branches found in areas including airports and standalone over-the-counter stores. TravelX has requested the assistance of third-party cybersecurity professionals to work with internal IT teams in isolating the malware infection. So interesting, um, interesting from a perspective that it is a currency exchange. They're bringing in, you know, I would imagine they have a pretty pretty solid IT team, but they're bringing in third party to help out. Um, quick note on TikTok. The, the U.S. Army has banned the social media app from government-issued phones. Um, there continue to be security concerns about it, of course, related to China. So if you are using TikTok, you might want to be careful what you're sharing, you know, potentially... Um, facial recognition being stolen 
as we know, facial recognition is a, a method of biometrics. And of course, we have a concern for deep fakes, which I'm also going to briefly talk about in a moment. That's going to do it for this week's cybersecurity news. Let's move on to our hot topics for the week. All right, so each week, as you know, we take two or three topics and drill down, discuss them a little bit further, things that would be relevant to your cybersecurity or your compliance world. So we're going to start off with um, the HHS notification for ambulance company pays $65,000 to settle allegations of long-standing HIPAA compliance. West Georgia Ambulance has agreed to pay $65,000 to the Office of Civil Rights at the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services and to adopt corrective action plan to settle potential violations of the Health Insurance Portability and Accountability Act. Security rule. So the security rule, as you may know, relates to EPHI, Electronic Protected Health Information. West Georgia is an ambulance company that provides emergency and non-emergency ambulance services in Carroll County, Georgia. OCR began its investigation after West Georgia filed a breach report in 2013, so this is going back more than six years, concerning the loss of an unencrypted laptop containing the protected health information of 500 individuals. It's odd that they, ha- they know the numbers exactly 500, but OCR's investigation uncovered longstanding noncompliance with HIPAA rules, including failures to conduct a, a risk analysis, provide a security awareness and training program, and implement HIPAA security rule policies and procedures. Despite OCR's investigation and technical assistance, so that's key, West Georgia did not take meaningful steps to address their systemic failures. The last thing patients being wheeled into the back of an ambulance should have to worry about is the privacy and security of their medical information, said OCR Director Roger Severino. All providers, large and small, need to take their HIPAA obligations seriously. So, Let's, in addition to the monetary settlement, West Georgia will undertake a corrective action plan that includes two years of monitoring. And I'm going to go to the resolution agreement in a moment, but let's take that statement for a second. The last thing patients being wheeled into the back of an ambulance should have to worry about is privacy and security of their medical information. All providers, large and small, need to take their HIPAA obligations seriously. So what does that tell you? That tells you that all of those small practices... Um, whether they're healthcare, healthcare providers, ambulance services, dental providers, um, insurance companies, whatever they might be, clearing houses, whatever they might be, uh, you you are a sub, you are a potential subject of a HIPAA investigation, and I've as said it before, it just takes one complaint, and in this case, an unencrypted laptop. Now this goes back six plus years. Um, when maybe encryption wasn't uh, forefront of everybody's mind. So hopefully that, I mean, we've, we've seen it. And I'm, so I'm going to talk about that shortly too. There, there was, uh, there's a list of all the HIPAA enforcement for this year. So we'll talk about that. But HIPAA enforcement, as we can see, can go back to, to incidents from six years ago, seven years ago. Um, but there have been incidents this year with, with unencrypted devices still. It amazes me that we're not encrypting, not to say that desktops shouldn't be encrypted. They should be. There was a case where a business in California had their desktop stolen, you know, their, their door kicked in and their desktop stolen. 
Uh, not as likely as a laptop being stolen, though. Not as likely. I mean, why are we still using flash drives at all these days when we have cloud storage? It just that makes zero sense. But you know, encrypting a flash drive, a USB drive, encrypting a laptop, it doesn't. It's not a lot of effort. There's not a lot of effort involved, and it only takes a few minutes usually. Get it done. Stop messing around with people's information. Encrypt those laptops. Encrypt those. USB drives, encrypt those desktops, encrypt everything that needs to be, any anything that has data on it should be encrypted, um, sensitive data. You know, um, the other piece that I want to point to here is despite OCR's investigation and technical assistance. So if OCR comes in, does their their thing, and says, here's what you need to do, you need to take that seriously. Even if you don't agree with it, you need to take it seriously. Because if they're saying this needs to get done, and then they come back and it's not done, you're going to be fined. Now, this was a settlement, $65,000 settlement. I don't know what the original dollar amount was, but they settled for 65000 If you are neglectful, which means they came in, they said, this is what you need to do, and you still chose not to do it, you could be fined up to $1.5 million. So you need to take that seriously. If they come in and they give you a break, they say, all right, here's what we found. You haven't taken this seriously. You need to take it seriously now. And you still don't do it. You're going to get fined. I can promise you. And I, I do believe that 2020 will be a very um, strong year for, for OCR, for HHS to come in and and audit people and potentially find people they don't you know they they say they don't want to find people and i do believe them because they do give they do give healthcare practices the opportunity to correct whatever it is that needs to be corrected but then these providers aren't taking it seriously now the and so that's on the hhs website you can you can just look up ambulance company pays 65000 or if you just search for um, west georgia ambulance i'm sure it'll come up but then if you click through there is the actual agreement from from HHS and in the agreement it says a covered entity did not so the ambulance company is a covered entity under HIPAA right it did not conduct an accurate and thorough risk analysis of the potential risks and vulnerabilities to the confidentiality integrity and availability of all of its EPHI that's the security rule the covered entity failed to have a HIPAA security training program and failed to provide security training to its employees. Also part of the security rule. The covered entity has failed to implement security rule policies or procedures. Now, so that's what they find them for. Those are the things that they got. But this is after, this is after they said, this is what you need to do to fix this problem and they did not take it seriously. So, before you assume that A, your healthcare practice is too small, and B, that you can ignore the OCR, think twice. Okay? Moving on to the next topic, 2020, this is on threat posts, this next one. 2020 cybersecurity trends to watch. So um, they have a little slideshow, not like I mentioned on my cybersecurity daily yesterday. I'm not a big fan of these slideshow um, presentations, I guess, on websites they're just annoying to me i would rather just read it straight down but anyway i digress this is the top trends for 2020 to watch 
Ransomware was the scourge of 2019 and will also be in 2020. There really is not a solution for ransomware yet. Until we don't make it profitable, I'm ad-libbing now, by the way, until they don't make it profitable for the ransomware attackers, until they find a way to, to stop making it profitable, it's going to continue. Organized cyber gangs will shift focus from leveraging banking trojans and huge multi-million dollar SWIFT related heists and instead focus on smaller ransomware attacks, meaning smaller businesses as well. Why? Because they are easier to anonymize, easier to launder, and require less sharing of illicit profits with street gangs that launder bank fraud proceeds. So smaller businesses, you know, if, if you're 50 employees, and we saw the the business that was 300 employees that had to end, ended up closing. Um, but 50 employees making, I don't know, a couple million dollars a year might decide I'm just going to pay the $50,000 ransom rather than deal with this. And then they don't, those people then don't have to launder the money because now it's not a bank. Um, so we'll, we'll see how that goes, but that's the prediction. And I, I would tend to agree with that. Mobile will become a primary phishing vector for credential attacks in 2020. I do believe you're going to see an increase in voice phishing, also known as vishing, and text phishing, which is smishing. So you're going to see an increase in those things. I, I do believe that. Traditional secure email gateways block potential phishing emails and malicious URLs, which works for protecting corporate email from account takeover attacks, but neglects mobile attack vectors, including personal email, social networking, and other mobile-centric messaging platforms such as secure messaging apps and SMS, MMS, um, according to Lookout security experts. Now, um, phishing emails still work. Yes, a lot of them are end ending up in spam filters, and there is software out there, but it's still working. We see it in HIPAA breaches all the time still. As software development increases, so will the need to nip security threats in the bud. So notorious, notoriously well-known developers do not focus on security. The attack, and that's not to say all developers before you guys shoot my head, shoot me in the head, but the attack surface has grown from local code to pipeline code. To answer this challenge, a DevSecOps mindset must prevail. So it may be new, new positions, develop, development, security operations, um, say security pros. So code inspection will need to start from app inception to production in 2020, say experts. We're seeing, an, seeing organizations start to build security into each phase of the development pipeline and expect to see more of, a, of this the shift in 2020, wrote Veracode's Suzanne Chacon. As more corporate infrastructure moves to the cloud, so will focus of crimin criminals. Good news and bad news following this trend is conducting an attack will become harder and the actions of threat actors will become more sophisticated to more frequent, relying on chance rather than planning. That's according to Kaspersky. Global adoption of 5G infrastructure technology will begin in earnest in 2020. That will give rise to an uptick in edge, edge computing and a host of new connected IoT devices. Add to that some old issues magnified by the massive 5G build-out, such as authentication, confidentiality, authorization, availability, and data security. Companies will reach a critical mass of these devices in 2020, forcing them to reevaluate their risk paradigm for connected devices. That's according to Forescout. Authentication will move from two-factor authentication to multi-factor authentication, including biometrics, so that's really good news. And that's according to Lookout Security. The company said in 2019 it saw implementation of one-time authorization codes to provide 
two-factor authentication circumvented in advanced phishing attacks. That is very true. We saw that with Jack Dorsey's Twitter account. And then it just happened on, I think, New Year's Eve or New Year's Day with Mariah Carey's account. Um, to protect against credential theft and to address regulatory compliance, enterprises are increasingly adopting multi-factor authentication and biometrics using mobile devices, the, the company wrote. So I'll tell you how I have it. I have my, my smart devices have biometrics, you know, either um, facial recognition or thumbprint or both in some cases. And then I have soft tokens. Now, there was a group, APT20, in China figured out how to compromise two-factor authentication with soft tokens. Um, but that was, that was computer-based soft tokens. So it wasn't on smartphones. So... There's going to be challenges, of course, but the the more you put in place to mitigate risks, the better you are. Multi-factor authentication with biometrics is a far superior um, authentication method than two-factor authentication. But two-factor is better than nothing, so use something. Specific attacks such as phishing will continue to leverage machine learning to automate the optimization of campaigns. Phishing lures and landing pages will be A-B tested by algorithms, AI algorithms to improve conversion rates while new domains will be generated and registered by AI algorithms. So for those of you that buy domains, which I do a little bit of, I've got more competition now. Last year, one interest in deep fakes peaked as proof. Oh, I'm sorry. Last year, our interest in deep fakes peaked as proof of concept examples surfaced and real ones swayed opinion and tricked one company out of $243,000. Deep fake technology used against businesses, businesses and in misinformation campaigns campaigns, I'll, I'll learn to talk today, I promise, are predicted to ramp up in 2020. The problem is forecast to become as pervasive that by 2023, up to 30% of world news and video content will be authenticated as real by blockchain countering deep fake technology. So it's interesting that blockchain is being mentioned here. If you're not familiar with deep fakes, it's kind of what it sounds like they're using um, fake images, fake videos, fake voice to create content, whether it's news or ads or, you know, um, I'm sure you're, I'm sure you could see where this could go. So to combat that, we're looking at blockchain technology. So technology is advancing quickly. And if you want to remain involved in technology, you're going to need to stay caught up. Uh, not really a prediction, but Microsoft will end Windows 7 support on January 14th. That's just 11 days away at the time of this recording. For most consumers and businesses that do not have extended support in place, that means Microsoft will stop patching and regularly updating the OS even when a security vulnerability is found. History will, will repeat itself in 2020 with at least one major attack leveraging the vulnerability to affect companies around the world similar to what we saw with the end of life windows xp wrote for scout um and then you we do know that WannaCry impacted um windows 7 a couple of years ago so and a lot of those computers are still haven't been patched for that and then finally driven by the high cost of sophisticated malware based attacks a rise in insider attacks are forecast for 2020 direct attacks on infrastructure is becoming more more much more expensive Requiring more and more skills and time for the attacker. So the good news is we're doing better at securing our networks. Bad news is there's another way. There's always another way. 
Kaspersky, this is according to Kaspersky. As a result, the year ahead will see growth in a number of attacks using social engineering methods. The human factor remains a weak link in security. As a result, attackers will be willing to offer large amounts of money to insiders. The price for insiders varies from region to region and depends on the target's position in the company, according to Kaspersky. So that's uh, that's some serious, serious stuff going on there. Um, social engineering, the most common form of social engineering you may be familiar with is phishing, but there are lots of other ways to socially engineer someone, and you can probably see that deepfakes can be used in that. Um, maybe we'll do a special episode on just social engineering at some point. And then uh, our final bit of deep dive here is uh, HIPAA enforcement and review for 2019. So it's been another year of heavy, and this is on HIPAA Journal, it's been another year of heavy enforcement of HIPAA and compliance, HIPAA enforcement in 2019 by the, DH, the HHS and OCR has resulted in 10 financial penalties for to- a total of $12.274 million. And uh, so 2019 saw one civil monetary penalty issued and settlements were reached with nine entities one fewer than 2018. And then, by the way, that doesn't mean they're going to slow down. They're, I, they absolutely absolutely will pick it up, I do believe, in 2020. So here's the penalties for 2019. You have Touchstone Medical Imaging, 65000 Medical Informatics Engineering, $3 million. Bayfront Health, St. Petersburg, 100000 Elite Dentist Association, 10000 Jackson Health System, 85000 That Dental Associates one, I wrote about that sort of that was a that was a yelp review a, a response to a yelp review so a dentists are subject to hipaa and b don't don't do that on on social media uh university of rochester medical center 2.15 million texas department of aging and disability services 3 million centera hospitals 1.6 million corundra medical llc 2.175 million and west georgia ambulance we just talked about momentarily or a few minutes ago, $85,000. And then a breakdown of the compliance issues cited in the 2019 enforcement action. So this is just the ones that had to pony up some cash this year. And so these go back, in some cases, as we just heard, six or seven years. So risk analysis, meaning no risk analysis, was done in five of those 10 cases. Half of those cases did not have a risk analysis completed. Breach notification rules not followed three of those cases. So I think one of those cases was an argument between OCR and the healthcare provider about how many people were actually impacted. Access controls, two of those. And we, we saw a few of those this year, of breaches, not, not enforcements, but breaches where the access controls were not what they should have been. Business associate agreements, meaning to, meaning they did not have a business associate agreement in place. Two, remember business associates are covered under HIPAA, meaning they could also be penalized under HIPAA. But if you don't have a business associate agreement in place, I'm not sure it's enforceable. HIPAA right of access. So this is, and there was two of those, by the way. So HIPAA right of access, also two, meaning somebody asked for their records and you didn't supply them in a timely manner. Security rule policies and procedures. So this is EPHI. You're not following policies and procedures. That's two. Device and media controls. One. Failure to respond to a security incident. One. Information system activity monitoring. One. No encryption. One. And that was the ambulance uh, 
There have been some cases of no encryption reported this year. Those have not been, the investigations haven't been completed yet. Notices of privacy practices, one, so we're not even given a piece of paper that says this is our privacy practice. Privacy rules, policies, and procedures, one. Risk management, one. Security awareness training for employees, one. I'm impressed it's not higher. And then social media disclosures, one. That would have been the dentist. So that's going to do it for the news. We're going to move on to our HIPAA breach roundup. All right, it was a fairly light week for HIPAA breaches, HIPAA breach notifications. There was only three, which is not bad for a week. North Ottawa Community Health System, NOCH, has discovered an employee at North Ottawa Community Health Hospital in Grand Haven, Michigan, accessed the medical records of patients without authorization over a period of three years. So I mentioned this earlier briefly. The matter was brought to the attention of Health System on October 15th by another employee. An investigation into the alleged inappropriate access was launched on October 17th, and the employee was suspended pending the outcome of the investigation. NOCH confirmed on November 25th that the employees had access to medical records of 4,013 patients without a legitimate work reason for doing so between May 2016 and October 2019, so about three and a half years. There appeared to be no discernible pattern to the unauthorized access. Patient records appeared to have been accessed at random. No evidence was found to suggest that any patient information was stolen, and OCH believes the employee was accessing patient information out of curiosity. The types of information potentially accessed included names, dates of birth, social security numbers, Medicare and Medicaid numbers, health insurance information, and some health information. Any patient whose social security number was viewable has been offered complimentary credit monitoring and, and identity theft protection services for 12 months. Further training on NOCH policies covering medical record access have been provided to all staff members and employee access to patient records has been tightened. That should have been done from jump. Again, access controls. The breach has been reported to the D Department of Hu Health and Human Services, Office of Civil Rights. It is up to OCR to decide if any further action is taken against the employee over the HIPAA violation. So it's interesting because the employee, I guess, would be considered a business associate. I'm not sure how that would work, but it's um, it does say further action against the employee. Cyber attack forces shut down of... Center for Healthcare Services Computer Systems. The Center for Healthcare Services in San Antonio, Texas, experienced a cyber attack over the holiday period. This is back on Christmas, which forced it to shut down its computer system. CHCS provides healthcare services for individuals with mental health disorders, developmental disabilities, and substance abuse disorder, and operates several walk-in clinics and outreach centers in San Antonio. The CHCS IT team determined that a single server had been compromised after being alerted about the cyber attack by federal officials. The decision was taken to shut down its entire computer system as a precaution. The IT department has stated has started restoring its computer systems and bringing them back online one by one, starting with the systems at its largest clinics. This process is expected to take several days. Cyber attack was part of a larger attack that started before the holiday period. It is currently unclear how many other organizations have been affected. And finally, Amy and Robert H. Lurie Children's Hospital of Chicago fires worker for unauthorized medical record access. Two in the same week. Uh, a pediatric 
It's a pediatric specialty hospital in Chicago, Illinois, has discovered a former employee access to medical records of certain patients without a legitimate work reason for doing so. The unauthorized access occurred between September 10th of 2018 and September 22nd of 2019. So this went unchecked for just over a year. The hospital learned of the HIPAA violation on November 15, 2019, and immediately terminated the employee's access to all patient information while the incident was investigated. The employee was subsequently disciplined for violation of HIPAA and hospital policies and was terminated. The employee was unable to view full social security numbers, financial information, or health insurance information. The only types of information that could have been viewed were names, addresses, dates of birth, diagnosis, appointment dates, medical procedures, and other limited medical information. The breach notice published on the hospital's website makes no mention of the reason why the former employee was accessing patient information, but the hospital says there is no reason to suspect that any patient information has been stolen, further disclosed, or misused. Patients affected by the breach were notified by mail on December 26th as a precaution against misuse of their personal and health information. Affected patients have been advised to monitor the statements they received from their health care provider. A spokesperson for the hospital said Lurie Children's deeply regrets that, that this, this incident occurred and confirmed that steps have been taken to prevent any further incident of this nature from occurring in the future, including providing further training for employees in the hospital's policies regarding unauthorized access for patient records. The incident has yet to appear in the Department of Health and Human Services Office of Civil Rights Breach Portal, which is also known as the HIPAA Wall of Shame. So it is currently unclear how many patients have been affected. So we have two cases of access controls maybe not being appropriate for the employee. Um, in each case, they said that they will take further action, you know, a little too little too late. I don't know. It's it, This is something, it's hard. I'm not going to say it's easy to do. It's, it's easy to put access controls in place. That's not hard to do. What's hard to do is to make sure the right access controls are in place. So, you know, if a ticket is created, sent to help desk saying, here's our new employee, this is the rights they need access to, or updated to, um, it's, you know, it's, it's easy, as easy as it is to set up, it's also easy to potentially give the wrong access controls, so there needs to be some type of auditing in place, and uh, we need to do a better job of this, too, in the same week reported. All right, we're going to move on to our, our HIPAA education for the week. We're going to talk about HIPAA applications, or mobile applications, and HIPAA. All right, so over the holidays, didn't do a lot of writing. I did put something together right after New Year's, so... Um, we're going to talk about it. It is something that, that should be talked about, and that is HIPAA as it applies to mobile applications. So five need-to-know guidelines for mobile applications in HIPAA. Now, I did a lot of research. Most of the information I got, I got from the HHS website, but there are other blog posts similar to this out there, so f I'll include some of them in my show notes. But you know, feel free to research this on your own as well, but it's not... You know, you know, you might be surprised your your HIPAA. You may not have any HIPAA rights, depending on the application you're using, as a patient. And healthcare providers need to understand that as well. Not that they have any liability, which we're going to get into, 
but because they should protect their patients. Remember, at the end of the day, HIPAA is about patient care, not about um, rules and regulations and penalties and uh, making everybody's life a, um, a nightmare. It's just about making sure that patient's information is not exposed and that everybody's, uh, every all the patients are protected. I mean, initially HIPAA started out as a way to make sure that insurance, if you went, left one job and went to another job, you had insurance and um, um, making sure that uh, insurance companies were not, not, the word I'm looking for, not compromising your information. So I'll, I'll start the blog post. So HIPAA was passed in 1996, so that's what I'm kind of trying to get to here. That was 24 years ago as of this blog post, 24 years ago. So think about what's changed in 24 years. 24 years ago, the Internet was kind of kind of in, in its infancy still. A lot of people were still using dial-up. Um, some people may have had DSL, which was a little bit faster than dial-up, not much. Funny how that hasn't changed much over the years. But now, you know, today, Internet is widely available. We didn't have smartphones yet. There were no mobile applications yet. Things There wasn't uh, electronic medical records yet, electronic health records yet. Um, so a lot has changed in that 24 years, in that short 24 years. Um, that's not to say there haven't been, there haven't been updates to HIPAA. There have been. Um, as we know, the high-tech rule, the omnibus rule, things like that, the security rule, those things have been added to HIPAA as we know today. Uh, not, And there will be changes, I do believe, in this year probably. But there haven't been um, – there, and but there haven't been any changes in the last, I don't know, six years or so, a little, little more than six years. So that's interesting. Because even in the last six years, technology has dramatically changed. Your smartphone today is more powerful than a computer was five or six years ago. Um, a, a regular, you know, a, a available to the public computer was five or six years ago. There will likely be updates to HIPAA to address rapidly changing technology, but it's hard to imagine any legislation keeping up with tech. So that being said, what am what am I saying there? So legislation moves slow. In today's environment, legislation moves slow. We have lots of legislation out there for privacy, um, not just with HIPAA, but privacy overall. There's the uh, smartphone app, the smartphone privacy, uh, not really smartphone, smart device privacy as it relates to healthcare. You know, you have your smartwatches that track heart rates and all kinds of other medical information. So people are trying to come up with ways to protect that information. Um, there's COPRA potentially coming out, which would be our version of GDPR. Um, there's lots of legislation out there, but it moves slow, and it doesn't move at the speed of tech. Tech moves very fast. HHS did clarify mobile ap applications in HIPAA, and I link back to those um, conversations on the HHS website. I wrote about and tried to put in layman's terms as best as possible for the purpose of this blog. CE means covered entity and BAA means business associate agreement. So the five guidelines for mobile applications in HIPAA. If a covered entity develops and maintains the app, then they are responsible for, for protecting PHI. They must comply with HIPAA security rule. The app must be included in the covered entity's risk analysis and corresponding plan. If they did not develop the app, then they need not worry about PHI within the app. The app developer is responsible for security in the app and protecting PHI. That is, if the app developer is 
the EHR provider, the HR vendor for the covered entity. If the covered entity did not develop and or does not maintain the app, then the covered entity is not liable in the event of a breach involving PHI. Once the patient requests their health information be delivered to them via an app, in a scenario, the healthcare practice is no longer responsible for the healthcare information. So as you can imagine, if, if the patient says, hey, I need my healthcare records and I want it sent to this app or I want it sent to this email or wherever they want it sent to, the, the healthcare provider really has no control over it after it leaves their hands. So there's no saying now that that patient doesn't you know, put it on Facebook and say, hey, look at this. The healthcare provider has no control over it at that point. The same applies to the EHR that a healthcare practice uses. If the patient's request for the healthcare information is passed to an app developed and maintained by the EHR vendor, the EHR vendor is liable for any breaches under the HIPAA. If the app is developed by a third party with no relationship to the EHR vendor, then the EHR vendor is not liable if a HIPAA breach occurs. A covered entity cannot refuse to provide healthcare information as requested by a patient despite concerns over the security of an app. A business associate agreement is required if the app creates, maintains, receives, or transmits PHI, or if the app was provided to the patient by the covered entity directly or through its EHR. If the app was not provided by the covered entity and does not facilitate the creation, maintenance, receipt, or transmission of PHI on behalf of the covered entity, then a BAA is not required. In a nutshell, app developers, app developers should utilize security best practices regardless of where they fall under HIPAA, but they're not. Patients should be cautious of how their PHI is transmitted regardless of who provided the app. Apps that are not provided by a covered entity are not liable under HIPAA and therefore can share PHI. And I put share in quotes because I'm not saying they will. I'm not saying they should. I'm saying they could do that potentially. The more likely scenario is this. You get your healthcare records and then you input it into an app that tracks your health um, for fitness or um, for weight loss or something like that. So that's the more likely scenario to, to occur. HIPAA does not regulate how an app acting as a designee of the patient and not the covered entity can use the PHI provided by the covered entity. In other words, if I get my healthcare records and then I share it with my spouse, I am given, that's my designee. So I'm saying, what I'm saying is you should, you should treat an app not provided by your healthcare provider just like you would treat it as a friend you're giving your healthcare records to. You, there's no guarantee that they're going to keep it safe. You could trust them, but that doesn't mean they will keep it safe. You know, they put it in a car, they leave it on the roof of the car, they drive off and it flies away, or, you know, they share it with somebody else in the family or whatever it could be. That, so that's how you should treat it. I would treat it even with more, um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for, more, I would be more careful with this information with an app because you don't know the creators of the app. At least with if you're sharing it with a spouse or a friend, you know them. Um, if, In other words, if you choose a third-party app not provided by your healthcare provider, then you'll potentially expose your healthcare information, especially if the app includes the right to share their terms in their terms of usage. So in other words, we don't read the terms of usage, terms of agreement on apps anymore. No, nobody really reads it. It's a lot to read. I'm sure a few people out there read it, but most don't. You just accept the terms and you continue on. You don't know what those terms are, are saying, so you need to be careful with what you're using when it comes to your health information and also your, your sensitive information like social security number, credit card numbers, things like that. Health pro, healthcare providers can express their concerns with a third-party app 
not provided by the healthcare provider to the patient when a request for the patient's healthcare records are made. They cannot they cannot refuse to deliver those records. Refusing to deliver the EPHI as requested by a patient is a potential HIPAA violation under HIPAA right of access. So here's an example of HIPAA liability in mobile apps. My children's pediatrician provided an app to communicate, update, and deliver their health information. The app is called Follow My Help Health. Sorry, Follow My Health, and it's provided through a very commonly used EHR in in healthcare. It's called Allscripts. Now there was an Allscripts breach. I don't remember when it was, but not that long ago. Um, so that's not to say Allscripts is is by any means the best EHR out there. I know there are others, but they they are they've been around for a while, um, and they are. They do provide follow my health. Since the app is provided by the EHR that the pediatrician uses, then the pediatrician, all scripts and follow, and follow my health are mostly all scripts and follow my health are um, liable under HIPAA. A HIPAA breach of follow my health might mean the pediatrician could be liable as a covered entity in this case. The High Tech Act and Omnibus Rule put more of the onus on all scripts and follow my health as these additions to HIPAA now make business associates liable under HIPAA, but the pediatrician could be, but not likely, depending on the scenario, liable as well. If my kid's pediatrician decided not to provide an app and I made a request for their healthcare records through another third-party app, the pediatrician is off the hook in the event of a HIPAA breach through the app. They should at least warn me of the risk, but that is not a requirement. They do not. They do have to provide the records under patients' rights of access, but that's not the only requirements in this scenario. So that's um, HIPAA, HIPAA and mobile applications in a nutshell. If you are using a third-party app as a patient, then you're going to need to be extremely cautious, extremely careful with that. Unless you just don't care. I mean, let's be honest. There are some people out there that don't care if their healthcare records are compromised. If your app is provided, maintain, created and maintained and provided by your healthcare provider, then absolutely you should feel secure and you should be concerned if a HIPAA breach occurs and the covered entity, the healthcare provider in this case, is liable under that, under the rules here. I expect to see more of this as we continue through the year and through the next few years. Um, as we know, everything is becoming more and more mobile and smart de- smart device focused. Uh, we're going to get to a point where smartphones are, are a thing of the past, and I don't think we're that far off. Um, so it'll be interesting to see how this transforms as well. That is going to do it for this episode of the Proactive IT Podcast, episode number 11. Thank you for joining me today. Welcome to 2020. I hope it to be a fruitful and successful year for everybody. And until next week, everyone, enjoy it. Have a great week. And stay secure.